The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Lord, I'm just, uh, I'm privileged to be here with these other men and women of God. Lord, I'm privileged to have this connection with you, Lord, because I don't deserve it, Lord. I know what I deserve is death and hell. But I thank you, God, for your love and your mercy and your grace that has been extended on me. And Lord, I thank you that today, Lord, I have a relationship with you like no other. And so today, Lord, as we worship together, as we look into the book of Acts, we ask, oh God, would you show yourself, Lord, to us, reveal yourself to us today. Lord, a hundred different people here, Lord, a hundred different points of view and places in life. And yet, God, would you speak to me? Would you speak to each one of us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. I want to welcome you to Life Point. Thank you for showing up today. Uh, I know you had a choice. It was a really cold day. I looked at my uh, uh, smartphone here. It's pretty smart. It says 11 degrees out this morning. 11 degrees. And so we have a wood stove, and I pumped that puppy full of wood, and it was all toasty. And I really didn't feel like coming, but I'm the pastor. I got to come. <laughs> And so you're not the pastor. You didn't have to come. And so I thank you for taking the time, for making the time to be here this morning. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this concept of time. We have time. We take time. We make time. What do we do with time? You know, I can buy a video game uh, on one of these little things again. You pay 99 cents or $1.99. And and if I don't like the game, I can just hit uninstall and it's gone. And, uh, and I can go out and make another dollar, pay for it. But if I take an hour of my time and I play that video game and I still don't like it, I can st- still hit uninstall, but that's an hour of my time that I can never get back. I can't go make another hour of my life. Now, I'm old enough to realize that my days are numbered. You guys, your, your days are numbered too, but I'm a little further down the road than most of you. And so I realized that at some point, I have no more hours to give. I have no more hours to spend. I have no more hours to invest. And so every hour is precious to me. The question is, how am I going to spend that hour? You know, no matter what kind of responsibilities we have, each of us only has 24 hours in a day. Don't we? President Obama, he has 24 hours to lead this country. Apple CEO Tim Cook has 24 hours to do whatever he does to make billions and billions of dollars. I have 24 hours. You have 24 hours. The question is, what do we do with it? The truth is that we're all busy, aren't we? I mean, we all are really busy. Who here is not busy? Didn't think so. Okay, you're not out of high school yet. (laughs) The rest of us were busy. But busy doing what? Why didn't I pick up the phone the other evening? Because I wanted to see who won the voice. I was too busy to answer the phone. (laughs) Why did I get to bed at 2 in the morning? Because I was busy playing Candy Crush. And guess what? I looked at the clock and I was, holy cow, it's 2 o'clock. What am I doing up this late? (laughs) Ah, But I was busy. We're all busy doing something. The question is, what are we busy doing? It's not a question of being busy. It's a matter of admitting are real priorities in life. Now, this is the interesting thing. Have you ever been with someone when they die? 
How many here have really been with someone? Uh, quite a number of people. It's a, it's a heart-wrenching thing. It's a very sobering thing to watch people pass from this life to the next. But I guarantee you at that point in time, they really don't give a rip who won the voice. They don't care about the next level in Candy Crush, and they sure don't care about who won the Grammys. What they want is people. They want the relationships that they've developed over life. They want them close. Their family, their friends, those guys are the most important thing in life. They're the most important things in life. So here's the question. Why are we so devoted to the things that really don't matter? Why don't I have time to pick up the phone if they really are that important? If my relationships are important, then where does the voice rate in all of this? Where does that video game stand? Where does that book stand? Busyness has been the new status symbol for a while. But man, it's taking us down the wrong path. It really is. Where is our intentionality in the process of developing relationships? If, in fact, these are the, really the most important things in life. We're intentional about doing all sorts of other things, but where is the intentionality in developing these relationships? The incredible devotion that we're seeing here as we go through Acts chapter 2 is really a devotion of time. For these disciples. It was to God and to other believers. If we're going to be devoted to something, if we're going to be devoted to anything, it's going to take time. We just don't take time. We have to make time. Do you know the difference? Taking time means there's some available, and I'll just take it and use it. But for most of us, we have to make time, which means I'm going to say no to this to say yes to that. The question is, what are we making time for in our lives? As believers, as Jesus followers, what are those things in our life that we're saying no to in order to say yes to that? In Acts 2.42, we've been reading about how the apostles devoted themselves to certain things. And I want us to take another look at that passage. If you turn to Acts chapter 2, and uh, I'm just going to read the first five or six verses here will pop it up on the screen and i'm starting verse uh, verse 41 it says and so so those who received the word were baptized and they were added that day 3000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and awe came over every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, these things happened as a result of God's Spirit living in the early believers. And that same desire is with us today. If you're a genuine believer, there's a hunger here to get into the Word of God, to know what God wants to speak to your heart. There's a hunger for fellowship. There's a hunger for breaking of bread. There's a hunger to connect with God through prayer. 
individually and corporately. So in verse 41, it says that 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. That is amazing. You think you've seen people stream down at a Billy Graham concert. <laughs> 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. And you know what happened? They all went back home. In their own languages, in their own culture, they all went back home. But they desperately wanted to stay connected with others who shared the same experiences. Their eyes and their hearts were open to the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the needs that they had then are the same needs that we have today. The need to be connected, the need to share with others the experience that we've experienced when it comes to Jesus Christ. And so in very small groups all over the region, they began to meet. I want us to look at verse 46. He says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You see, the book of Acts really is a, is a book of history. Luke wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And this is simply what happened when Jesus ascended back to heaven and, and, and what happened in the early thing called the church. The very first group of people called the church. And Luke writes about the very first days of this very first group and the state of its greatest innocence. That was the church Christ died for. That was the bride of Christ at its best. Now, I'm not a physics major, just so you know. I had a hard time learning how to run the smartphone. Doug helped me. Fanny helped me. I'm getting the hang of it. Okay, But if you take a handful of marbles and put them on this table and let them go, what's going to happen to those marbles? They're going to roll off. They call that the second law of thermodynamics. Generally speaking, things tend from order to disorder. Why is it that when I put the marbles there, they don't clump together? Because the second law of thermodynamics says that things tend from order to disorder. And this is true all over the world. It's true to the universe. It's true in human hearts. And it was true in the church as well. Historically, as far as this new thing called the church was concerned, men began to take responsibility for the growth of the church. Now, we have a problem here right at the outset. Because I believe it was Jesus who said, I will build my church. Did he not? So men began to take responsibility to build a church and to manage the church. Sometimes with good motives, sometimes with bad. And the church began to evolve, evolve into a building and an organization rather than the organism that Christ created it to be. And she has suffered greatly for that. Within a few hundred years, men made the church something she never was intended to be, and that was an institution. Huge buildings with high ceilings and cathedrals where people went on Sundays. It took thousands and thousands of dollars to build and to construct and to clean and to maintain. I've walked through some of the most amazing churches in Germany and Austria. And guys, if you've never been there, I'll tell you what. I have, you've never seen anything like this. 100 feet ceilings. 12 stations of the cross, all plated in gold. Gold everywhere you see. Paintings on the ceilings. And they're dead as a doornail. 
On Sundays, no one is there except a little friar, maybe a priest. They're the busiest for tourists on the weekdays, like me, where I come in and get my ticket and look around. Oh, this is pretty amazing. And walk back out. God doesn't live there. God does not live in a building. He never did. The church, as Jesus referred to her, was never intended to be a building, but a people. A people that he called to himself. That is the church. You see, Jesus created us to be the church, not to go to it. Didn't he? We are the church. Look at this next verse here. Matthew 18. Jesus says this. He says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Church. The Jesus in me, the Jesus in you, that's all we need. That's all the early church had. And God did some amazing things through that. God did some amazing things through that. You know, there are two ways of looking at these verses in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. We talk about how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You can see that two ways. You can look at this as a checklist. If we just do these four things, then this will happen. I'm putting on my uh, science hat again. If we follow this formula, then this result is guaranteed. Make sense? Does it work? Thank you. It doesn't work. Because if God is not in it, nothing will work. It's not about a formula. And men for 2,000 years have always gone back to the book of Acts. Oh, that we had what, what, what we saw there. If we just do these things, if we just do it right, if we just tweak this, then God will show up and everything will be different. But the second way of looking at it is that maybe, just maybe what we're seeing here was fruit. It was the result of Christ taking over in the lives of of these early men and women. And that's what they did. They could not do these things. It came from the inside out. They had radically experienced forgiveness of their sins, experienced freedom as broken people to let God begin transforming their lives from the inside out, and they were flat out excited. They couldn't keep quiet. There was nothing they did. It was just simply God stirring their hearts to passionately want more. How do you recognize a cherry tree? Okay. Let me give you a tougher question. How do you uh, recognize a peach tree? Different question, not as tough. <laughs> you know, this is really cool. Um, in my neighborhood, I take a lot of walks, uh, and uh, it's really kind of in the country. And... Uh, a couple summers, actually a few, four or five summers ago, I was uh, walking up one of the hills, and there was this house that was for sale, and uh, it looked kind of Greek to me. They had this big waterfall thing out there. It just didn't look right in the neighborhood, but uh, nobody bought the house. The grass was overgrown, and I'm walking and praying. I look in the backyard, and I see this tree, and how did I know it was a peach tree? Because it had peaches on it. I'm like, is that a peach tree? I think it is. Nobody's here been vacant. I run home, grab my wife, grab a five-gallon bucket, 
And I go to that pizzeria and start pulling these peaches off, and they're laying on the ground. These suckers were big, big peaches. And you know what a freestone is? It, it, it's, it's a peach where the pit doesn't stick. So you just crack it open, the pit falls down, and eat peach. So I cracked this thing open, and the juice just ran down my chin and onto my shirt. That was a peach. It was a peach tree. Let me ask you another question. How will people know that we are followers of Jesus? By our fruit. By our fruit. Just look at this verse. Jesus says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love. Love for one another. Now we're not talking just a little bit of love if you catch me on the right day. That's easy for all of us. That's easy for those who don't even believe in Jesus. No, we're talking copious amounts of love. Like that peach juice where it just drips down your chin on your shirt and you're thinking, you just made a mess of yourself. That kind of love coming out. How do you know we're Christians? Because we have love in copious amounts. Did you know love was the very first uh, fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentioned in Galatians chapter 5? He said, and the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. All these things in copious amounts. You see this and you realize this guy's got something going on with God. There's fruit. It's the result of. It's not something he's doing to try to fit into the church's norms. This is fruit. A result of Christ in us. And so what we see here in verses 46 and 47 was the fruit of their newfound life in Christ. This is what they were doing. They were not only devoted to God, but they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to one another. You know, the New Testament has uh, uses the phrase one another over 59 times to describe how Christians can show love to one another. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And then in verse 40, he says this, And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you've done it unto me. And here's the point. When we love and serve our brothers and sisters, Jesus says, you're doing this to me. So how well do we love one another? How, lo- how well would you love Jesus Christ if we were standing here in the flesh? Would it look any different? We have the opportunity to love God by loving one another. Again, 59 times the word one another is used in the New Testament. And I want to just cover 10 of those very quickly. At Romans chapter 12, he says, honor one another. Can you imagine what it would look like if instead of these little friendly jabs we give each other, you know, that's all sitcoms are, just a little jab here, a little jab here, and everybody laughs and we think it's cool. What if, not in a flashy way, but a very sincere way, that we really gave honor to one another? Would that not change what the world looked like? He says, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, instruct one another, 
serve one another. Bear with one another. Guys, there's some people that I have trouble bearing with. And there are some people that have trouble bearing with me. I get that. But as a Christ follower, God's given me the grace to bear with you. He's given you the grace to bear with me. He says, do it. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Be hospitable to one another. You know what the word hospitable means? It's a compound word in the Greek meaning to love stranger. To love a stranger. So it's not hospitable for me to have Paul over. It's hospitable for me to have someone I don't know come over. To get to know them. To feed them. To serve them. To love them. How well are we doing? Hospitality. Be hospitable. Be humble towards one another. Love one another. That's only 10 of the 59 things we see in the New Testament. Now, here's a question. How many of these things can you practically do on a Sunday morning? That's what I thought. Unless you're here 10 minutes before the service or 15 minutes after it's done, we have very little chance to one another, one another. And I guarantee you this, that no one does that while I'm up here talking. As long as people are in rows, we cannot one another one another. And it seems to me that one of the most important things the disciples carried away there in the early church was the fact that that one anothering was very important. It was a lifestyle. It was a fruit of Jesus in them. You see, we can be intentional about roles and responsibilities in the church, and we are. We can get people plugged into programs. We can find ways to feed people curriculum. But again, where is the church intentional in developing these relationships that are so key in all of life? If a church and their focus is getting people to sit in rows, whether it's a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service, a Wednesday night service, classes, programs... If that's their focus, then we will not have an abundance of opportunity to one another, one another. And that's so often where Jesus shows up. When we have the chance to be the church, that's exactly what the early church looked like 2,000 years ago. Small groups of people learning to one another, one another. Let's take a closer look at verse 46. This is the result of the disciples' devotion to those four things and what was going on. And they had all things in common. And and they were selling them as people had need. And it says, day by day, how often was that? Every third Saturday? No, no. Every second half moon, quarter of the full... No, it wasn't. Now, I, I can't guarantee it was every single day, but it was regular. It was day by day by day they were doing these things. Doing what things? Day by day, they were attending the temple. Now, the temple was a place where people could go. It was open pretty much all the time. They would go, and they could could hear the the word read, the scrolls, the scripture read. They'd hear some rabbis teach. It's a lot like our Sunday morning service today, if we were to try to equate that. The word is spoken here. The word is taught here. We have a time to worship together. 
So the, together they went to the temple, but they also broke bread in their homes. They went from home to home. That's kind of a strange thing. At least for us here in America. If you get it outside of these United States, you, you realize that home churches are the norm in many countries of the world. And you know why God seems to be doing so much there? Because, because the church is becoming what God intended it to be. People are putting themselves in a place where they could one another one another. And God is working and moving in powerful ways. And I think to our disadvantage at times, we've been a part of building great institutions and big buildings and programs, and we're missing out on the personal connection that I have with you and we have with God. So they went from house to house. The church was the people of God, those who'd been redeemed by his love and grace, coming together to love and worship. And the same is true today. Just because you were born in America doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you come to a church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're a member of a church doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than being born in a garage makes you a car. Hello? doesn't work that way. Becoming a Christian involves a personal choice. It's a decision to repent and to believe and to receive the grace and forgiveness that God has for me. And then you become part of the church. The church is a living organism. It's not an organization. And the church can meet wherever it wants to meet. Now, what do you do when 3,000 people come to know Jesus? You can't fit in my living room. We could try to stuff the corners in the closets, but I guarantee we'd still have some hanging out. So they did what only they could do, and that was split up and start meeting in little groups all over the city, all over the region, because they still had this drive to be connected with others who had that same experience. And so they started meeting in all these little groups all over town. A lot like a life group, 20 people, 30 people, whoever could fit into a house, singing and sharing a meal, praying for themselves, for their friends and family. That's where the church is best experienced, meeting in those smaller homes. And then it says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, this wasn't necessarily communion as we take it to be. Not here. They received their food. The King James Version uses the word meat. New American Standard says they shared their meals together. Guys, you know, a lot of good things happen when we eat together. Did you know that? It's fun to have people over for dinner. It's fun to go out with people as we eat. Do you know that most Americans rarely eat together anymore? Does that surprise anyone? The Atlantic had a little survey here uh, last year. They said the average American eats one out of every five meals in their car. You believe that? Uh huh. <laughs> Anybody own that? Yeah? Okay. One in four average Americans eats at least one fast food meal every single day. Not, not just a restaurant, we're talking fast food. The majority of American families report eating one meal together in less than five days a week. Families now spend nearly as much money on fast food as they do groceries. Wow. All because it's fast. And I'll tell you, it's not healthy. And it's not nearly as fun. 
You know, eating together is, is, is an emotionally healthy thing to do because it gives you time to connect with each other, an intentional time to build relationships. I remember when I was a kid, we'd sit around the table, and Dad would ask us how our day went. It'd go all sorts of different places. And, but it was good, and it was consistent every day, every time. And it was a real blessing, and we bonded over that. And we've carried that into my adulthood. We still have dinners every night together. And we talk, and it's good. It gives us an excuse to talk, to reflect on the day. The trivial things sometimes morph into things about politics and health and life and death and loss and memories and our walk with Jesus. It covers the gamut. You get to know people when you eat with people. I have a friend who's been a missionary in, in Italy for the last 10 years. He grew up in South St. Louis. One of life's greatest pleasures is sharing good food and sometimes wine with the people you love. And if you've ever been to Italy, they do food well. It's an event. It's not just fast food on the run. No, they, it's an event because they take two and three hours and they just enjoy the company. And I think we've missed that here in America today. Do you know that one day, one day Jesus is going to serve us a meal when we get to heaven? Check this out. Luke 12. Jesus said, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Guys, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this verse. Because what Jesus is saying here is that he is going to gird himself and come and serve me. I remember where I was when I read that verse for the very first time, and I cried like a baby. I said, God, do you know me? Do you know how screwed up I am? Do you know how much I don't deserve this? Yeah. I felt about that tall, thinking that God of the universe is going to serve me. That I recline. And he's going to serve food to me. But the cool thing is, it's not just to me, it's to us. We're going to have this great dinner. And the second thought, what are we going to have to eat? You ever thought about that? I mean, you think barbecue is good here. Just wait. Just wait. I'm sure there are things we've never tasted before. Uh, This is going to be the greatest meal we've ever had. We so cling to the only things we know. But in heaven, it's going to be so so much different and so much greater. And we're going to really understand what it means to have dinner together. You know, growth in our relationship with Jesus really is a journey. It's a process. It rarely happens on a Sunday morning at any given point in time. Now, we may have an aha moment. I've had those on Sunday morning. But our life is a lot like the rest of life. It's a journey. It's a process where our heart has to catch up with our head. We don't learn things just all at once. It's a journey that we go through. And journeys are best taken with other people. I know seeing change in my own heart 
inside of me is a process. And to do it well, I need time. But I need some others who are making that same journey. Because I can talk about my stuff and you can talk about your stuff. We share life together. See, guys, none of us are perfect. We just aren't. We're just all broken people. On a, and the way I phrase it is that I'm on a journey to the heart of God. God's heart is drawing my heart to Him. And there's bumpy patches and there's places where I stumble and fall and I get back up again. But God is drawing my heart to His. Our journey happens best in community where we can honestly share the ups and downs of life. And honestly, life is tough. Life hurts. It's not easy. There's a lot of hard times we go through, and I believe that God is in the middle, in the middle of most of them wanting to reveal himself to us, to, to, dis, to take away our fear, to give us the courage and the faith to believe that he is who he said he is, that he'll do what he says he can do, that I am who God says I am, and that I can do what God says I can do. It's a process of change and transformation from the inside out. And only then can God really do the deep changes that I need in my own heart. For example, Linda and I have not been able to have kids. We've struggled with infertility. You really don't understand this unless you've walked in those shoes. And this wasn't something that will just get better over the weekend or come back and it'll be different. It wasn't different. For weeks and months and years a hard struggle. There was nothing we had to repent for. It, it was just painful. We shared this journey with a few friends, and if it wasn't for them, I don't know where we'd be today. But we needed the people that God brought along. I remember I lost my job two months after I was married, which was a week before Christmas. What a lousy husband I felt I was. Because here I just sworn to love and protect her and to serve her and provide for her, and I lost my job. And it was nine months until I got another job. I did bits and pieces here and there. But man, my self-worth was in the pits. I needed brothers who, who could help me, who could walk with me, who could encourage me. And they did. And it was huge. Now, a lot of great things happen, too. It really is a mixed bag. We have joys, we have sorrows, we have struggles. But again, our life is a journey. God is calling my heart to a deeper relationship with his heart. You know where I have my greatest conversations with the Lord? It's really out as I take a walk. I love trees. I love the forest. Whether it's down in Han State Park, South Missouri, whether it's out in Colorado where I grew up. I just love walking in the cool, the forest and the glens and the trees. You know, there's, there's something about a full-fledged tree that's just this beautiful. You know, I remember cutting down a tree in my own backyard a few years ago with my dad. And uh, this thing had just died. And it was, it was just a huge tree. I mean, huge. And so we made a little notch at the bottom here. And we got the chainsaw and cut it down. One clean cut. And man, that thing went boom. Fell down the hill, which was better than up the hill towards the house. <laughs> so, uh, and it was a clean cut. It was great. So I went out a couple days later, and I started to count the rings in this thing. You know, if you count the rings in a, in a stump, you can find out how old it is. And that thing was over 150 years old, which means that it was planted about the time the Civil War started. Any of you remember that? I don't either. 
It was a long time ago. Long time ago. It takes a long time for a tree to grow. There's four seasons in every year, and some are just as harsh as, as the other. And oak is hard wood because it doesn't grow quick, but it's solid. It's solid. The prophecy in Isaiah 61 was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says the part of Jesus' mission was to give them a beautiful headrest instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It was through the brokenness of life and the most difficult times that God was working to grow these men and women into sturdy oaks of righteousness. That's what he's about today in your life and mine. God is calling us to be these sturdy oaks of righteousness. They don't grow quick, but they're solid. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing an aged saint an old man or woman of God who has walked with God for most of their life is so beautiful and yet so very rare. Healthy relationships with other Christians help us keep our own soul healthy. You know, what God is doing, he's calling us back to the basics to learn what it means to rely upon God and the power of his Holy Spirit to build the church and for him to do the work. In, in the church as a whole, in my life in particular, in each one of our lives. And we see this is best done in small groups of people meeting all over the city, coming together for a meal, to worship, to share, to pray. I'm excited about that. You know, Eric and I and Matt, we, uh, we have a church planters uh, boot camp here. And we do this three times a year. And guys come in here who want to learn what it means to plan a church, to start a church. And the first question we ask is, what is a church? So you want to plant one? What is it? And we get answers all over the board. I mean, what do we have to have to do church? We need seats. We need a Bible. We need guitars. We need some kind of lights or maybe a PA system. And the, the first church had none of that. They had the Jesus in them. They had the Jesus in me. We came together and we connected. And that was the beauty of church. Again, these aren't something we just, these aren't things we just do. These are things that my heart longs for. And I know some of you have that same longing. I just want to be with a group of men and women who connect on that level, who can understand what I'm feeling, who knows what it means to, to hear God call me to do something I'm scared to death. What do we do with this? We come together. We give encouragement. We love each other. God shows up and things happen. So as the band comes forward this morning, I, I want to give us a challenge. I want to challenge you to take a step of intentionally doing something that will help you develop relationships, the relationships you need in life to be healthy as a Christian. We all need these things.
Coming here this morning was a choice. You could have stayed in bed, but you chose to make the time to come. I gave up this to take this. And our challenge to you this morning is, can you give a night of your week, one night, a couple hours, to join with a handful of men and women who will eat a meal together? who worship a little bit, who will talk about the Sunday message and wherever it goes, what is God doing here, who will seriously pray for each other? What can God do from that in your life, in our life? Next week, we're going to begin three brand new life groups. There's going to be one meeting in in St. Charles. There's going to be one meeting here in O'Fallon, one meeting out in Lake St. Louis, one on a Tuesday night, one on a Wednesday night, one on a Thursday night. I want you all to pull the connection card out from the seat back in front of you, if you would. I want you to hold them up. I want you to make sure you got them. Okay? Grab them here. Some of you are doping off. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. Uh, If you've never been a part of a group like this, if you've not signed up for one of these, there's a little place on the front of the card down at the bottom. it, It says life groups. I'm interested in life groups. I want you to check that box, and I want you to mark either A, B, or C, which night would fit you and your family. And I want you to drop it in the joy box on your way out the door today. And we're going we're gonna to see that you get connected with a handful of people who are doing just this. If you've already filled one of those out, and you're still holding your connection card, I know there's something that we can pray for you for. So on the back of that, I want you to... I want you to write something that we can pray for you by name for this week. We get together on Tuesdays, and we pray. We pray for people who say, I need need help. I need God's mercy. I need his grace. I need his help. I need encouragement. I need forgiveness. What do you need? How can we pray? I want you to make a note of that. And I want you to drop the uh, connection card in the joy box on your way out. And thirdly, If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you thought you've known him, but really don't, and this morning you realize, I don't have any of those passions. Maybe maybe I don't know Jesus the way other people do. I want you to talk to me about that. I'm going to be in the back here as the band does the last couple of songs here. And let's talk, because I would like nothing better than to help you understand how Jesus has changed my life and how Jesus can change your life too in a very real and tangible way. So I want you to just come up and see me in the back. And I'm believing God's going to do some very significant things this year as we just strip ourselves down and get back to the basics, the Jesus and me, the Jesus and you, sharing a meal together, learning how to love each other in a very real way. Can we pray? Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, for your love and grace that you just poured out on me, God. I thank you for these men and women, Lord, many who have Jesus Christ inside, who know what it means to be forgiven, who know what it means to experience grace and mercy. Lord, I I, I pray, God, as we come together and begin connecting at this level, Lord Jesus, you would do things that go far beyond our expectations. Teach us what it means to love one another. Teach us what it means to be the church. God, I really have no expectation, Lord. I just want you to show up. And Lord, you do whatever it is you do. I thank you for including me in that process. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. 
I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.